Hello, and welcome to another episode of No Major Opinions. Uh, this will be like season two, episode two, I guess, of our podcast. W- going with recorded, it's, it's, it's nice. It's, it's just better. Uh, way less hassle. So uh, this episode, we're going to be talking about a few things before we get into it. Talk to each of us, see what we've been doing. I've been doing the same shit of just playing video games, making Dust Force maps and stuff. Lurk, what you been up to? Well, I finally got out of job hell after like two and a half weeks of dealing with students moving back in. I work in higher ed, so dealing with that in the midst of uh, COVID and all those fun things has been really quite a joy to experience, not really. But I finally got through it. People are here. I have no idea how long this is going to last for, but yeah, at least I'm out of the hell part, crunch part of it. So, Have you been playing any video games at all? Is it just been no time for you pretty much no video games at all i've just been getting home and just been dead so but i do hope to uh there's some new stuff that's come out for castlevania chronicles i forgot the name of the runner who did it but he like used the uh the cross on 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 the medusa boss and turns out that's actually really good you know go figure so now we have to get that early which means that we should actually do like the skeleton bone boss cross early damage stack and so it just means all these fun things to save a couple seconds and I kind of meant to get back into it anyways for original mode, but now there's even more of a reason to get back into it. So, like, I have my PSTV ready to go. I just need to, you know, go. So, yeah. What about you, Dark Aries? Not too, too much. I do want to also add on that, yeah, the these pre-recorded episodes are super nice because we can kind of do a rough draft of, like, what we're going to be talking about and kind of already write down some points. We can kind of pre-build the episode. We we did that when we were live, but you know when you do things live and you have guests and stuff like that, it's very easy to kind of get off script. Meanwhile, since it's pre-recorded, if we just start uh, shooting the shit and just get completely off topic, that just doesn't exist, which is super nice. Video game wise, I mean, I lucked out. I was reminded that Ring Fit Adventures exists, and then I looked it up on Amazon, and it was in stock on Prime. So I'm like, oh. Then I double-checked the local EB games, and magically every single one in, the, in my city had one in stock. So I walked over to my closest one, and I bought it, the last one in the store. And I've actually been playing that. Not every day, but uh, I have been playing it when I'm not biking or walking, because I'm trying to, you know, be active before I get shut in for the winter. And it's been really fun. Uh, we actually had a speedrun of it on the NASA channel during Speed Docs. But uh, as somebody who likes video games and kind of was active, uh, not really with sports, but I did karate for like almost a decade, if not longer. Yeah, it is really fun. I do enjoy it. And it it is an actual workout. There are muscles that I totally forgot existed that you work on with little different exercises. And uh, the ring itself is super robust as well. My dad, who's like a Slavic bear and can probably bench press five of me, uh, tried like pulling on it and he could not break it so it's uh nintendo really knows their stuff when they built that that's surprising i, I actually own it as well and um i always thought like it, it felt like something that someone could break if they really wanted to but like i didn't try <laughs> you know so i was <laughs> like oh. and there's like speed runs of that are actually like really impressive because they're like over 10 hours of just yeah long as hell <laughs> they are long as hell but I did look into it. The way um, that the game works is that it actually calibrates to your fitness level. So it calibrates like how hard you can push into the ring, how hard you can pull out, and how fast you can jog and run. So what they do is they actually calibrate it so it's like they can't do anything. Like their pushing is almost nothing. Their pulling is almost nothing. And then they play on the easiest difficulty. And that way when they do the exercises in the game, the game thinks that they're like gods because that's the way they calibrated it. So it, using that, they can kind of speed run through it, quote-unquote. But it's still grueling. Like you, yeah. The run that happened uh, during Speed Docs was like almost two hours, I think, and that was just beating the first two worlds or whatever. And even then, like two hours of physical exercise. Like you have, you have like little breaks here and there, but it's not like you're not doing anything, so... I don't know, man. Seems like a cop-out. I don't know that that's real speed running. <laughs> They do have a max difficulty speedrun I saw on uh, speedrun.com. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the one I saw. It, it's like, 
it looks I can't believe people hard. finished it. Because that's like, yeah, over 10 hours of like actual like working out. Oh, it is rough. Some of the exercises are kind of... Anything involving uh, core exercises is pretty easy, uh, except for planks, because it doesn't really register all that great. But then you have leg exercises, which are like squats and thigh presses and all this stuff. Those ones you can kind of get through. Squats are a little bit rough. There's like a mountain climbing exercise that doesn't really work well because it only re- relies on the one Joy-Con. So that one, I, I'm pretty sure it almost never gets used, at least early game, in casual play. Arms can get super tiring, though, because you're constantly pushing or pulling on that ring. And uh, since I'm playing on the hardest difficulty and I can, in fact, pull and push on it 100% like it uh, wants me to, it can get rough. But, uh, you know, that's the whole point to exercise. So Yeah, I should get back into that, too, now that you mention it. My shit's been just sitting over there, but like, I already come home dead at all already, so you know, <laughs> that's really yeah, kinda, not that appealing. I mean, I I certainly enjoyed it, and I kind of raved about it a bit to my friends, and then all of a sudden, like, three of them went out and bought the game. So, highly recommend. I'm just worried because it's like I'm kind of a, uh, you know, super out of shape fat guy, and <laughs> it, it seems like a scary game to me. So, I mean, it calibrates to your fitness, right? And the one thing that's different about this game in comparison to a lot of like the Wii Fits and other games, it doesn't actually mention weight at all. And uh, this isn't really a spoiler because it's the first thing you see in the game. The main villain is a super buff dragon called Drago. And he doesn't even get like mad at you. He just gets annoyed that he works out so much, but yet, you know, you're the new guy and you can still kind of defeat him. So he goes and works out more. And it seems that really the plot is just that this guy's consumed by the fact that he has to constantly work out when, you know, you don't really have to. You just have to do it a little bit a day. And you can totally cheat some of them if you really want to. Oh, yeah. For squats, it wasn't registering properly for me at one point. So I literally just got super mad. I pulled the Joy-Con out and I just started like angling it myself with my hand because I couldn't get the squats working. Well, the attachment for your thigh just doesn't really stay that well. No, it it's And then sucks. my hamstrings are also fucked, so, like, I just literally can't squat all that great or, like, the way it really wants me to, to, like, get all low and shit. So, like, because I just fall backwards. Yeah. It's the, the thigh... The leg exercises are not that great. That's why when I do play, I prefer the arm and the ab exercises, uh, except for the leg lift uh, and thigh press exercises, because those ones are super easy. Just lift your leg. It's really hard to fuck up the Joy-Con kind of angling when you lift up your knee. And the thigh press relies on the uh, the ring, so. But yeah, uh, you know, as, as as cool as Ring Fit is, let's move on to maybe some NMO news. Just want to make sure everyone knows that we have decided to eliminate our newsletter and our forums, mostly because they just weren't really being used all that much. If I'm going to be honest, and like, was there a single forum post? Yeah, there was a couple forum posts about like people being worried about the like the cost of the event going up, and that was like a potential thing, and. A couple, like, I, 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 we had, like, I think three newsletters, two, two to three newsletters, something around those lines, and I posted those, and I think there may have been some posts on there, but really, it just, it wasn't really utilized all that much, and I was the only one posting newsletters, and that didn't really get utilized that much either, so we we're hoping that we can replace that with this segment for, with NMO as sort of like a, like our next, uh, th- this segment is, like, very specific to just NMO, which we don't have really any news beyond the fact that we're back <laughs> uh but then for nasa news we've we've got more stuff coming up and we promise we'll try and keep those segments like kind of short and concise and kind of keep it so that you can find that easily for the folks who are really just interested in sort of like what's going on with nasa or yeah we will still have like uh twitter posts and stuff on the site just not dedicated newsletters yeah, yeah. for sure maybe we can try using those youtube timestamps that are super popular at least if you're listening on youtube if you're listening through like Apple Podcasts or Mixcloud or Stitch or something, you might be SOL, but but at least we'll try and keep it consistent, like towards the front of the cast and things like that, and try not to talk about Ring Fit for like nine minutes before we get to some news and things like that next time <laughs> or something. But it, yeah. it might not even be nine minutes. Who knows? It, it, I I could be estimating. Maybe I'll cut it down as the editor. But yeah, just wanted to let people know that that that's what we'll do, and we promise to keep it short, or we hope so. I guess we kind of jump into the NASA news portion, which, um, surprise, 
we're going to be opening the uh, horror thriller monster marathon submissions. Basically, uh, somebody asked in our Discord uh, today as a recording if that was going to be a thing. And generally, it's very flaky if it's a thing or not because a lot of us are just busy during that time. And running a marathon just on one or two people is not fun, at least for the people who have to run it uh, restream-wise. And I checked with the Hive Mind, which is our group uh, and team of restreamers that we kind of developed during NASA 2020, and a lot of them also helped out with Speed Docs, and they'll probably continue to help out with a lot of other events as well. But we got a handful of people saying they're willing to help, and that is awesome. So basically, the event's already made. Signups will open up as soon as this podcast goes live. It's going to be spooky. Yeah, definitely get all your uh, spooky submissions. And it doesn't matter if it actually is spooky or not. As long as you can tell us why it is spooky, you can submit it. <laughs> like, actually, uh, I recently made a map in Dust Force. It's the Raven. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe's the Raven. And it's just, like, a, like a very slow-moving prism that if you hit it with, like, the light attack, you can just hover on it. And it's, like, 20 minutes of just mashing light attack as it scrolls through... <laughs> like the text of the poem and i have like little animations of like characters like enacting the poem <laughs> that's awesome like i hope you submit that i, I I'll, I'll submit it but if i fall or fail at any time i'm not restarting because it's fucking trash <laughs> <laughs> single attempt yeah there you go uh another update for uh nasa is that we're working on the website mostly on the back end aries has already updated the nav bar you can't tell but he did uh, he did do that. Oh my god, that was so much effort. I had to go through the the memory banks of college and PHP and all this stuff, and I'm banging my head, why doesn't nothing work? And then it turns out, yeah, you need to change the file extension to be PHP instead of HTML, dum-dum. So there went a couple hours of work down the drain because I was really dumb. But then I eventually got it working. So the website is now a lot easier to update. Because whenever we would want to do an update of adding a new page, let's say, we just did a collaboration with Speed Docs that just happened. I think they raised like over $4,000. But if we want to add under our collaborations in the navbar Speed Docs-a-thon, we would have to go to every single HTML page on our website and copy and paste the new navbar onto it, which is hell. Now it's all dynamic. We update one navbar, and the PHP kind of just pops in into every other page, which is super nice. Yeah, we're going to update the website more. and You might not notice, but we will. Yeah, there's already the uh, NASA 2020 page with all the playlists on it there, and we're going to keep updating all the pages as we go. And then you already mentioned Speed Docs. Yeah, it, it seems super successful. It was their first event, basically. Uh, Quo was kind of the, I guess I would say the, project man project leader project manager on that uh event and it seemed super successful everyone had a lot of fun there was some things that broke at 4 a.m in the morning that i spent like two or three hours fixing with him but after that everything else seemed to be super smooth and i'm hoping that they'll just want to do more events with us because it was super fun it was uh four thousand dollars that went to saint jude's i just checked right now a little over but rounding it four thousand dollars that went over to that charity awesome what other upcoming events do we have so i took a quick look at uh, Hararo and uh, onegas or however it's pronounced and not a lot really stuck out to me but i did find two events to kind of talk about the first one is uh, fin runs assembly has their submissions open right now probably not super useful unless you speak finnish but you know just given their event a shout out the another event though that did close their submissions in is actually going to be going live. Both events actually go live on October 16th. But uh Puzzle Game RTA Festival. This is a puzzle online marathon ran by the Japanese speedrun community. And as a person who is part of the Puzzle General speedrunning community, or at least that's what it's currently called, the name might change. Spoilers. But as somebody who's part of the that kind of community. This uh, schedule is a banger. There is Mr. Driller. There is Puyo Puyo, Puzzle Bobble. There is Mom Hid My Game. There's Medios, Box Boy, um, Piku Niku. 
Tetris, uh, multiple versions of Tetris, Luminous, Warrior Woods, Paneled Upon. Like, this is an awesome marathon, and the Japanese speedrunning community is super good at puzzle games. So definitely check it out if you're into that kind of stuff. I guess now we'll do uh, host recommendations. Lurk, what do you recommend? So I just rewatched the movie Pitch Black. It just came out in 4K, like the new 4K HDR That's such or whatever. A good movie. Yeah, the color grading on that movie. I forgot how colorful it changes because like there's like the three suns at one part and it's like super black at other parts and yeah, the movie's all over the place. It's the best Riddick movie. Yeah, first it's definitely the best Riddick movie. I agree. <laughs> it's it's like by quite a large margin. <laughs> Oh, it's so good because it's like it's not just a Riddick movie, you know. It's, he's he's a character within it, but it's not. It, there's so much more going on. Yeah, in, it's like if you don't know anything about Riddick, it's like it's the, he's just like the, you know, the the driving character, but he's not like uh, his background or isn't that important. Yeah, and I just watched the director's cut, which is different than the theatrical cut in ways that I didn't know and greatly appreciate. Such as, like, Johns isn't just a junkie, and like he is in the theatrical cut. Like, he shows uh, uh, Fry, like, that he's actually got, like, a bullet in his back, and that's why he takes morphine all the time, because he, like, feels oh. it constantly, because Riddick shot him. It's not just that he's an asshole. He's totally still an asshole, but it's not, like, it's not just that he's an asshole. That there's, no, there's more nuance to it that they cut out. So, I don't know. It's really cool. Definitely recommend Pitch Black good ass movie even if you can't watch it in the new 4k i'm definitely going to pick up that blu-ray because i did not realize that director cut exists and also after watching the dune trailer i realized there's a lot of kind of similarities between the riddick series and dune so that will definitely get me pumped up for that aries what's your recommendation beyond ring fit which we talked for x amount of time what i do recommend is actually watching the boys Four episodes are out as of the recording of this podcast, and on the next Friday, that's going to happen. Episode five comes out. It is super interesting. If you don't know what The Boys is, it's basically what happens when you have superheroes who actually act like real people, not like this Captain America, I'm super nice and everything's goody two-shoes stuff. It People are terrible and good and they're people. They're real people. And Anthony Starr, who plays Homelander, just deserves an award for how he plays that character. I, I don't really want to talk about it too much to spoiler it, but basically season one is super amazing. Season two is also being super amazing. Go give it a watch. It's on Amazon Prime. Probably worth the Prime subscription by itself because it is some top quality television. I guess my recommendation I'll go with... Uh the 80s TV show Police Squad with Leslie Nielsen. Uh, it's from, like, the people that made Airplane. Uh, it's, it's like, a, a very similar type of comedy where everything's just absurd and uh, Leslie Nielsen's character is just uh, strangely goofy. But he's, like, the, uh, he's like the straight man, like, a, a sensible character in this, in the series. In the Naked Gun movies, he's, like, a, a moron. Uh, they're both, I, I'd recommend both, but I think the TV show is funnier. Oh, yeah, I definitely remember that show. That's the one where it's like you see uh, clips of it on the Internet where like they're walking through to the police office and they take the door, but he just literally goes around the wall because it's a set. Uh, Yeah, like they, they do all sorts of like little gags like that. Or at the end of every episode, like when they freeze for credits, it's like the camera's still rolling and they just like stop moving and like shit's always happening during it. Like everything's everything in it is a gag. It's great. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I I've never watched it, and I've only watched clips, and that's remind me that I should definitely watch that series at some point. Well, then let's move on to our question and answer segment. We got one question. Really appreciate that, and I will read it for the group, and then we can respond to it. I don't know why I sound like a robot now, but here here we go. You can banish one game to speedrun room one hundred one meaning we never see it at a speedrun marathon again, no matter how big. What game is getting the chop? Super Mario World. Like, it's not even, a, like, like, for me, it's, like, by a large margin just for how long the game is versus the amount of enjoyment I get from watching it. It's, like, the worst ratio. I'm gonna say Super Mario 64. That was my answer. 
Well, too bad, because now it's my answer. <laughs> now I got to think of another game crap. Yeah, I just don't care about Super Mario 64 in general, but I also feel like the advancements really aren't all that great. It's like, ooh, lag reduction. All right, cool, dude. Well, 64 is just one of those weird games where, A, everyone plays on what is arguably a slow version of the game beyond the different um, versions on the N64. It's just a fact that N64 is slower than Virtual Console and will probably be slower than the upcoming Switch version. So everyone plays on an inferior version. Yeah, it's like arguably the worst console ever made, uh, objectively speaking, because it can't play any of its games at the intended frame rate. Everything's chugging along. There's so many issues with uh, lag, just textures being shitty. It's just awful. And just like, there's nothing new. It's the same run over and like, I get it's it's to the point where it's the same thing. It's competitive. But after you've seen it, has there been any new things in a while? It's the same thing. I have, I wouldn't know because I just don't watch it. There is the randomizer, which is kind of cool. But when it happened to GDQ, it was just so disorienting to watch because you can never know who's ahead and everybody kind of picked it. it. It was just not a good watch. So something that, you know, worked for A Link to the Past where a randomizer, oh my God, everybody loves watching this game. Everybody, I in quotes anyways. Uh, SM64 can just don't care for it. What, how do the SM64 randomizer work? Um, basically, they. I'm pretty sure they actually play it on Virtual Console, which is really stupid when you think about it. But uh, all the star locations are swapped. Like, you would enter a place and it would have a random world. Like, each star in that painting would have a different level. So just because you go into the one painting doesn't mean, um, oh. like if you go to Bomb Bomb, it doesn't necessarily mean that the first star in Bomb Bomb is actually a Bomb star. A Link to the Past, like the randomizes the, like, the order you get items and like yes. your route would be different. Whereas this would be, you still just go to the paintings probably in the same order. You just yeah. enter different like uh, sub levels at different times. That doesn't, I hope there's some more to it beyond that. It really didn't seem like there was, and realistically, you couldn't really tell who was ahead because everybody picked. It It just wasn't a fun watch, and I think reading comments on Reddit and the Twitch chat and everything also confirmed that it just wasn't a great watch. Yeah, I think like randomizer can be great if they're for like equipment-based kind of speed runs or or like upgrade stuff. I, I in Mars 64, I don't know if there really is any of that. No. I don't think so. It's just literally pick the star and go, so. I know in the uh, the DS version, there's like the unlocked characters and hat stuff. That would probably be better for randomizer, although everyone, most people fucking hate that version. It's just a boring game. It really is. I mean, casually, it's probably fun, but as a speedrun, I can agree. It's definitely boring. No, it's boring. Casually, I could never finish it. It's just like, okay. Like, the world's... The the first few worlds feel identical, like, it, like it doesn't, ugh, it it's just bland. <laughs> but uh, I I guess casually it's probably as a speed run SMC is probably better. But the casually the Mario World would might be better. I don't know. I don't I don't there I to, I just find them both boring, so I don't really care. Oh, I just thought of uh because Lurk stole my answer of SM sixty four. I just thought of another game that to banish any Mega Man game. I really do not care for the Mega Man games. And it's probably because people have this mentality where they shove every single Mega Man game together in a marathon. And for the next like six hours, you see the same crap over and over and over again. I just, I, I definitely ugh. think they don't work well as blocks, but they can be great individually. That's another series where actually like they, like they prefer the slower, slowest official version. I remember uh, the, there's a PlayStation collection that has the Mega Man X games, and uh, Cyber Demon was running it, uh, running on that because it was faster, and got like shit on by a lot of people for it. It was funny. I love that shit. Isn't it lagless? It's yeah, it's basically lagless. And I remember uh, someone was was arguing against it, saying it's like uh one's going between rooms it's like on the snes version i have like time to mentally prepare for like the upcoming boss or like platforming but in, in the psx version it's just you're, you're just there it's so it's it's too quick it's too fast i'm going too fast of all the arguments to to not 
do like the PSX version. That was like the funniest one I've heard. (laughs) (laughs) I know PlayStation speedrunning can be really messed up at times because of models and disc loading and everything, but objectively choosing a slower version of the game because reasons just it's never sat well with me nintendo boys it's what they do man i'm not gonna it's part of their their culture (laughs) this this is just turning into like hating nintendo fanboys yeah fuck nintendo (laughs) (laughs) i love the kind of vibe of this podcast man nintendo's great ring fit it's awesome like a couple minutes later screw nintendo hey they can do some great shit I never had, well, I, I guess I had an NC4 as a kid, but it's like, I, I didn't, like, I only played the multiplayer stuff with people. Just like when you're playing with people, even shitty games can be fun. Hey man, Mario Party was some of the best uh, time. At, Mario uh, Party's actually, I wouldn't even call Mario Party bad game, like a bad game. It, like they can be, Mario Party 1 is like brutal, but it's uh, fucking hilarious. Like GoldenEye's bad, but with you're playing with people, it can be fun. Actually, shout outs to, uh... The Mario Party run that we had at NASA 2019, where we had an actual Mario on the couch. That was awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fucking last. Oh, man. That, 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 that was a great run all around. Quo just constantly getting shit on. Ah, oh, that was awesome. Anyone have more Nintendo bashing shit we, we want to go before we go to the next topic? No, but if somebody has Nintendo bashing, pop it into the comments on whatever platform you're listening to this. And if you don't have comments, put it in our Q&A form. <laughs> Ask us. or uh, Yeah, it's like, I guess to respond to the Q&A. It's like, what are your, what are your uh, preferred uh, Nintendo hating, uh, you know, arguments to make? Just lay it on us, because clearly we're assholes. What's your favorite way to hate Nintendo? <laughs> So it's kind of weird, not really weird, how this topic came to be. Basically, on our speedrun, the the cesspool of speedrunning, if I'm being honest, had a meme get upvoted right to the top. And it's that meme where it's um, the Jimmy Neutron thing, and it has Sheen uh, as GSA going like, this is 24-7 speedrun variety. And then the teacher's just like, GSA? This is like the 20th time you've shown Super Mario 64 and Super Mario Maker. That's not variety. And it's just clearly people resonated with that because it was the most upvoted thing ever on that subreddit, I'm pretty sure. And it just got me thinking, like, what is competitive speedrunning right now or even just events in general? There was this whole big thing with Pace and other things and ESA had their Break the Record live, but... Clearly, none of that's happening now. Yeah, there's like different ways to interpret it. Of like competitive speedrunning is just whoever is you know like uh, getting a record time in anything, whether it's a small game or not, uh, and that's uh, slightly different from you know the commercialization or like the streaming of trying to do that, uh, especially when it's like uh, like branded is like break like break the record where it's like their their goal is is to like this stream we're gonna try and do this stuff i guess commercialized is the only word i can think of that fits yeah i mean actually i forgot there was actually just a recent break the record live with doom eternal and i know that um the esa folks they actually put in a lot of effort in production for these events because it it really works for them so if it works you know yeah it makes money but i remember the pace events and at least the first one i think there were a couple other ones that i kind of tuned in I don't actually remember them doing much. I think they just partner with Smash people and they call it a day and then they kind of just have people show up. So I, I don't know. Even then, if you take a look at their Twitch, right? Um, I actually just checked this before the episode. It's just rebroadcasting and it's not even really rebroadcasting recent stuff. It's matches from 2018. And when you take a look at their schedule, they have something happening on the Sunday coming up and then I guess the sunday two weeks after that so bi-weekly sundays they have live content it seems and then the rest is 24 7 variety which is basically just rebroadcast so they're not really doing much i've seen a lot like the esa attendees make comments of like they don't know when esa stuff is actually happening because it's like whenever they see the channel live it's like they don't know if it's live or a rerun like from the perspective of an attendee or someone wants to watch live stuff it's that can be like uh frustrating but it's like for the people that run the channel, like 
if it like if that's like their source of income i totally understand just like you know turn on turn on the money button hit it hit that shit there's actually a little bit of a difference with the way how both those channels kind of go about that whole process when you take a look at uh esa's stream I believe the intermissions mention that it's a, a rebroadcast, but also the Twitch title, Plain as Day, says that it's a rebroadcast. When you look at the GSA stuff, the only thing that lets you know it's a rebroadcast is a letter, little kind of tiny letters at the bottom ticker graphic that says rebroadcast info and then the match. Everything else doesn't point towards the fact that it is actually a rebroadcast. I mean... The illusion of a live broadcast might be uh, more profitable. I guess so. I don't know. I it, I just really kind of wish that there was more in that space because I haven't checked on speed gaming in a while, but I'm fairly confident they have enough content to keep them going with live stuff all the time because there's randomizer this, randomizer that, tournament this, tournament that. Pretty sure there's actually, when I was looking at the marathon stuff, there's like a Portuguese marathon was going to happen or is happening there at some point. So there's there's always content happening on that section. They've kind of cornered the market on competitive speedrunning, I guess. Well, once you've held a couple marathons, especially, you know, even if they're just over a weekend, you know, a lot of hours of content that you can keep rebroadcasting. And and, and for any uh, anything that's like regularly scheduled stuff like the speed gaming things, I could also understand wanting to do reruns just as like, oh, I, I could use a break for a few, couple of days. Like, uh, the equivalent of like time off yeah that's how other streamers use it like uh i know co carnage will do like a past co type of thing where he, you know he makes it a joke that is you know his rebroadcast doesn't respond to chat and all that sort of thing but he scheduled it like he lets people know like hey you're gonna have this rebroadcast at this time and then i'll be live at this point and so he uses it as a way to take a break but he's very transparent with the fact that it's a rebroadcast yeah, I mean, one of the things that I don't know if people are taking into account is that the more live your channel is, the more likely that new people are going to bump into it, and the more likely that more people in general will continue to watch it. If we take a look at uh, the speed docs that actually just recently happened on our channel, when it started off, it had X amount of viewers. As the weekend continued to progress and it was live, the viewership kept going up why because when something's live and you go hey go check it out if it's still live you're going to be able to check it out if it's already done well you don't gain anything from that most people don't actually go to twitch vods and other things so if a twitch channel is live the longer it's live the better for the channel i'd be curious if like the future of like uh not just speedruns, but Twitch in general is having a lot of the super popular streams tr getting treated like TV shows and syndication, where it's like all they do is have reruns, but those are like, you know, profitable enough that it's like they get people still watch it. They don't ever actually make new content because they don't have to, which would be bizarre. I mean, syndication is a thing. Yeah, but yeah, but it's like, I, I see streaming as being, it's meant to be like this you know alive at in the moment sort of uh medium and it's getting turned into like more of a tv thing well and that's especially the draw for marathons where like that, that live environment people cringing at what's happening on screen or going all poggers about you know whatever the fuck someone just did in the video game you know it's it's that's a that that's really what the the whole point of it is but it's more profitable to have the viewers for a longer period of time because there's then there's more of a chance for like ad revenue to be playing and more people will come into your channel and like maybe get tricked by that expectation that maybe you're live even though maybe you actually aren't and it's just a rebroadcast but there's there's still more of an incentive for you to give off that appearance especially if you're someone you know if you can average even you know a hundred people and then your rebroadcast gets like 25 that's still really fucking good like if you can retain that that amount I'd I'd actually be really interested in having like Adam AK, who's like actually like an economist. I think he has his PhD now in like economics of uh, getting as much like of the uh, you know publicly disclosed info of what people make from like streaming on like any platforms, and then is trying to like theory craft like the maximum profit stream setups and like the the behavior and culture around like maximum profit streaming. 
Well, we could definitely take a look at people's sub counts. A lot of people make that public as sort of like, I'm trying to get this much as a goal, you know? And then they just have like a Streamlab thing that just counts how many of them have. Someone like uh, who's really, really big, like Summit 1G or something like pretty average is, I, I would imagine something like 15k subs a, a month, which, you know, he has the probably the better partnership deal that they like to give people. So he gets like 350 out of the five bucks of that thing, assuming it's all tier ones, which they aren't. And so it's kind of hard to, to, to gauge, but you, you can definitely get some sort of idea just by what's available. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is with streaming as well, it it's kind of hard to build up a base as well. I mean, me and Lurk have the PD cinema, which has been going on for a while and it's live essentially 24 seven. And we can see kind of the small growth. Um, so, you know, it's not easy as, at least as it was back in the day to just get a Twitch channel and boom, you know, followers. But even if you have a massive following base, I know of somebody who is a cosplayer and they have 119,000 people following them on their Instagram. This is not a small amount. And when they do a Twitch stream, you know, they go through the whole rigmarole of an Instagram story and an Instagram post. Hey, check me out. I'm playing video games on Twitch. Come join. Playing like Fall Guys or Among Us or whatever. You know, whatever's popular on Twitch right now to play with your chat. This person only gets around 20-ish views on their Twitch stream. That is a reach of 119,000 people and their Twitch stream only has 20-ish viewers. So why is that? Well, because it's only a certain amount. If just be, When that person posts that they're live, that's not necessarily when you have the time to watch the channel. It's only for that, that brief moment that those people looking at that can go to the Twitch channel and see that you're streaming, if they're even interested in watching you streaming. So it, it's crazy. It just underscores the need for consistency, which I'm sure going back to like ESA and a lot of these rebroadcasts now that with COVID and a lot of these events, AGDQ, for example, just announcing, what was it today or yesterday, that their AGDQ 2021 is going to be online due to the pandemic and ongoing situation in the United States. You know, what else are they going to do? I think it's kind of detrimental to sort of the state of marathons in general, because I think Going online is definitely some way in which they're going to have to respond and transform, and we touched on that a bit in our first episode of coming back to season two. But I think there's so much speedrunning content that is already really similar, and there's already been so many online marathons that have just done the exact same format of just you're speedrunning a game, maybe you have a cam on or you don't, and, and that's it. I mean, there's hours upon hours upon hours of this content, and it's just... It's definitely not pushing anything forward, I don't think, or at least I'm not seeing it. And I think it's just a real, a real shame that we can't get back to live marathons quicker, but obviously we have to take safety into into consideration. Yeah, I'm surprised there hasn't been more innovation of like how to get interactions with online stuff beyond just like donate for X. Because I know there's like uh, games that have like Twitch chat can interact with it, usually like some of the jump scare type horror games, but having stuff beyond that in the same fashion for just general streams. I don't know. Actually, this, some way to make um, it good. This brings me to one thing. Actually, I forgot to mention as well, and it, it does tie into this topic. So puzzle general actually has a Pokemon puzzle league tournament that's happening. It's kind of the bi yearly or yeah, bi yearly. Cause every year the game swaps, there's a tournament and cards of the heart has put in a lot of effort into this tournament, at which point I think it might be the best thought-out speedrunning tournament to date. Because this guy, um, he's put in a lot of effort into making kind of the whole thing accessible. That's the word I was looking for. He has like a little tutorial video that he made to explain the game to new people that will play at the start of the stream. There's going to be a guaranteed stream every Sunday at 7 which is something that actually I found out myself during puzzle mystery puzzle challenge, which we had on our channel as a collaboration with Puzzle General. When we had a stream at a consistent day and time, people got used to that, and then they would ask, hey, where did the stream go? Because it's 7 on a Sunday, and you're not live. So if you get people used to that, that there is a match, it's just like real sports, right? You'll tune in and you'll watch it. Plus... Everything's broken down uh, into the seeds. 
There's little bios on each runner. So like, this is the X seed and, you know, here's some little uh, tidbits about them. This is like their personal best. And, you know, they first started running the game at this time instead of just kind of tuning in and, you know, there, there's some speed runs happening. There's a lot of thought put into it and I'm actually super excited for it. I guess one thing on uh, accessibility, I just looked at the Twitch following thing right now and uh, currently streaming is Xanda who is the currently, I think, like, the number one ranked Dust Force player. Uh, he's, like, wick, wicked good and got, like, two viewers. <laughs> but there's, like, nothing on, like, like super, super technical game. It, it Like, if you're seeing it, it looks impressive, but it's kind of hard to understand. It's, like, the le- some of, like, the example of how, like, not being accessible can be counterintuitive to, you know, building a viewer base. I don't know how much, like... It, Using individuals as a case study, uh, there could be a lot of outliers, but uh, I'd be curious what the most what the most accessible streams then would be. Well, I guess for the state of like speedrunner streamers, how many streamers are currently strictly speedrunners who are in that kind of like top one percent of Twitch? How many do y'all know of? I can think of maybe two or three. Uh, like the only like big name ones that I at least can think of or the one that I talked to would be like Trihex and Cerno. Does Trihex even still speedrun? Like, I think occasionally he's more of just like a, you know, a, a variety streamer, but uh, I think so is Cerno, but they're both like, I don't know, speedrun, speedrunner uh, once, speedrunner always, or whatever. Fuck, what, what's the phrase? X for something, X for life. Can't remember that shit. I know what you mean. Like, they used to speedrun, and that's kind of <laughs> like their original streamer core you can was. never escape the speedrun yeah. life yeah i think triax was actually speedrunning yoshi's island again because of some poll that he did recently yeah yeah i saw i think he saw he made a tweet about that of like uh how long would it take to him to get to his like uh 2015 2016 pb when he like uh, last played yeah i can think of like zfg he's still strictly like an ocarina of time speedrunning stream and has been for like years now so he's definitely still doing it. I guess it would be any speedrunner who is on a esports team, right? So any of like the CLG speedrunners or uh, Grand Pooh Bear sponsored by mm-hmm. Red Bull or whatever. Those would be the kind of top speedrunners. And where I wanted to get to my point with this was that I think for a lot of those folks, speedrunning isn't necessarily like the, the core thing that they do anymore. It's like incidental to their streaming career. Like, they're more streamer personalities more so than... It's a medium to them, I guess. Yeah, because there's a lot of folks who have picked up, like, Super Mario 64 speedrunning, for example, who are, you know, just chatting streamers normally, and they just pick that up because, you know, old nostalgic video game, it's super easy. It's like... it's, it's yeah. It'll get viewers, yeah. So I don't know how that helps, like, marathons at all. I don't know if that drives more viewers to marathons to check out better speedrunners or more professional quote-unquote speedrunners i think that's not a question of like like is it better for marathons it's like how do we as like people that host marathons and like the speedrun community in general like utilize that to make the you know speedrunning better well because it, it it's like that that it is a, going to be a part of twitch and stream culture so we need to like realistically and i'll probably want to go more in depth on this specific topic in maybe a future episode but essentially if the if your marathon doesn't have like a top runner it doesn't exist uh, i remember a couple more popular speedrunners, and they would always be like we need more events beyond gdq and then people would kind of list off all these events and they would never submit to any of these events they would just make their own event and it's like seriously dude you're literally part of the problem I think part of that is also just the stagnant nature of marathons. Like there's not there's better content for them to partake in on their own streams and collabing with other streamers and If yeah. your goal is to like boost notoriety, it's a very different set of criteria by which you choose which marathons or which events in general you'd want to go to. Yeah, I think we're in a post speedrunning kind of era at this point where like I think we could have been down a route where I don't. Th- I wouldn't just say it's post speedrunning. I'd say it's post content. Like the message is irrelevant. Well, I guess in terms of it being super super popular on Twitch and other streaming sites, is like 
if you're doing this speedrunning thing, then you are automatically popular at it. Like, it doesn't happen anymore, really. Like, you can't speedrun Super Mario 64 and be popular anymore. Like, you have to already be a person, and then you happen to incidentally also do speedrunning. And because that's, like, a super popular game, that's what most people just sort of generally jive into. I mean, realistically, a lot of the people who submit to GDQ, they do it so they can get that viewership. And it's it's not a secret. A lot of people do do that because all of a sudden they're going to have hundreds of thousands of people watching them and that will translate to follows. And it doesn't always necessarily translate to Twitch views, but they do get a lot more follows. And once you have a lot more follows, the chance of Twitch views also goes up. I'd be curious because that, that's something that you could actually, uh, you know, very it's like an ideal statistics question of like how much does, you know, appearing at particular events uh, have like an impact on your Twitch career. Most of the numbers would be like, I guess follower counts are public and shit like that. So you could uh, probably get a bot to like, you know, scour data on everyone that's ever run in GDQs for like uh, follower counts, view counts and shit. It, I mean, that would be kind of a neat thing to read about. Although it, it I'm I'm not, re- I don't like, I've, I've been doing this for years. I still don't care that I have whatever number of viewers I have. So it's not really uh, emotionally relevant to me. I'm not invested in the issue. You wouldn't even have to use GDQ as a source. You could just use uh, Reddit effect, get a YouTuber who all of a sudden went viral on Reddit. There's been a couple examples of kids who went viral doing this in this video and everyone's like, oh, that was so cool. And then, you know, they got a bunch of new subscribers. Oh, yeah. I don't just mean like uh, getting viral to get followers. I mean, the like the impact value of each marathon, like. What what kind of viewer boost or monetary gain do you have from from ESA compared to GDQ mm, compared to everything else? That would actually be super interesting. Of getting the yeah the impact value like uh, for like science journals how they calculate it instead for you know speedrunning marathons. And I would go out on a limb and say that it's probably a negative impact overall at pretty much any marathon you go to unless you have a viral moment at one of those events. Uh, I don't see how, like, especially if you're already an established streamer and this is already your career and then you're, you know, sacrificing time to go traveling. So that's potential time that you're not streaming so that you're not, you know, getting donations, you're not getting subs and things like that. Then you actually have to appear at the event and do all the event stuff and events are, you know, a mixed bag, I think, sometimes depending on where you're at and what's available and what you can do there and people you meet and things like that. you 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 would need to pull like Kanye type shit in order to like you know guaranteed that you'll you know get some headlines or whatever the fuck (laughs) yeah yeah just like treating treating stuff as a career with like a speedrunning just seems really odd to me because it's i I generally don't know how like optimizing like uh even just streaming stuff is already kind of uh like a new yeah streaming's hard enough speedrunning and everything on top of that is Opt out, like, you know, trying to make a career out of it, it would, like, even if you do get, like, you know, you have the the luck, the skill, everything involved, and you, you, like, attain it, like, maintaining it would also be, like, it's gonna take a lot of effort, and I don't know how you, uh, how to, like, best apply that effort, because it's such a weird thing. Well, that's why I think the marathons are not really a thing that's useful to, like, a career twitch streamer type person like if you can swing it and i think this is like a major benefit that speedrun marathons from sort of the get-go and at at its root have always been sort of charity marathons because that's a driving factor for why you can take time off of work and why you can justify losing money is because oh well i'm helping a cause i'm helping a charity i'm helping you know promote these these uh these morally just things like that's a good thing to do but if you're just going like like I think this is one of the problems with with NASA at some point was just like we're just a speedrun marathon like we're just a vacation. Yeah, as, as like a format to gain viewers, it's like mm-hmm. we pretty much knew from the get go this isn't going to be right. People literally brought up the fact that it would be easier to convince their friends to show up if there was a charity element to the marathon. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, it was essentially made just like for the already in group was like I it's like. 2,000 people, whatever, at GDQ, it's like, that's, 
that's that's a lot of people. Let's just get a small little get together kind of deal. There's nothing wrong with those sorts of things, but yeah, it's like uh, it's just different goals. And I think it's like for the folks like like ESA and for the folks where this is more of a career and this is more of like they need to keep the rebroadcasts up and they need to do these sort of you know monetary financial considerations evolving the content and making it into more of a twitch staple into something that you can stream and and you hit sort of those gdq numbers more regularly of you know 50k plus people or whatever i don't even know what gdq averages on on thing but i'm just imagining that that's an amazing number for any event to hit in general would be that so if more events could hit that then they could be more financially stable and then we could do more speedrunning events um and not just nasa but all these other you know there's so many speedrunning events there's one every weekend like we've said this a a whole bunch of times but i don't know i just don't see it happening given how every marathon is the same it's all it's it's the same thing different game different runner but i guess that could also be a product of like the uh gdqsa they've kind of Maybe they have figured out, it's like, this is like what is most profitable for us, and they're just right. milking that. They they can't really afford to, you know, do a big risk in changing content, because they've already found something that's... Let's recontextualize like, this for a second, okay? Uh, a speedrun event has a lot of production value put into it, all right? This is... You have full-on production going on for these events, okay? Normally, when there is a sporting event or a conference, or any televised production, quote-unquote, there is a lot of labor that you that a company or whoever does it pays for. Even charity events that happen at work that I work at, there is some form of money that gets paid because nobody just goes, you know what, we're going to rent thousands of dollars of equipment and we're going to have thousands of dollars of labor just go for free. Zero dollars. Most of the time they're like, no, no, no. We understand and we value your time and equipment. Here is something to at least make it so you are not footing the entire bill. Okay? Now let's take a speedrun event. There is so much volunteer labor that happens. It is actually insane. And I know that for events they'll be like, oh, here's a free t-shirt and you know, here's your registration fee that's waived. If you even have like two four-hour shifts, that's eight hours, all right? Put that into minimum wage for a second in your area and now calculate how much money you've made in that. Like, that's a lot of free labor that goes on in these events. And I've actually talked about this at work because it's just one of the things where we talk about the industry and they're like, how do you people get away with this? Where do people actually make money? And the real reason is they don't. Well, we don't. Realistically, I don't think a lot of events make money. Like GDQ only works because the charity pays the money to yeah, do an yeah. event. Yeah, they, they're literally contractors. Yeah, and they only work because of sort of like their Twitch, you know, status. Is you know they were there first and they did it right, and then they continued to do it right, and it's like a staple, you know. And even then, I don't think they're like they're they're not like you know raking in dough, living in a mansion. Every single one of those people still have extra jobs. Yeah. Yeah, speedrunning doesn't make money. <laughs> Maintaining uh, like a stream career, even if you're a you know a super giant uh, conglomerate, it can takes effort. Yeah, it's, I, I think I said this in like 2016 or something. It's like an edgy comment, but I think it actually is true that there's there, there's no professional speedrunners, except maybe Cool Kid because he won like a Mega Man thing and got flown out to Japan or something like that. So yeah, like, like outside of like winning prizes. Yeah, he got paid directly because he did a thing in speedrunning like that, and that does happen. But no one makes a living like their career is that they break records and that's how they make a, a living. Yeah, it's like professional streamers that you that use speedrunning as content. Yeah, yeah. this isn't like um, even a strongman, like a strong, like a bodybuilder constantly bodybuilds and they go to competitions and, you know, they lift weights, they do different things, they pose, they do a lot of other stuff. And then if they win that competition, they win some money, right? That That is a professional bodybuilder that doesn't really exist in speedrunning. Because where the heck are you going to get the money to pay those people? Yeah, there's no, like, uh, giant sponsors that are just, like, clamoring, yeah, we need those those speedrunners to show off our product. The closest shit would be, like, the Scapegoat 2 people when they made the game and had the little competition. Stuff like that. It, which, so it's, like, very small niche. There's no 
like industry level support. Mm-hmm. And one of the few avenues that is like a, a, something transformational, and I've been disappointed in sort of the results, has been the competitive sort of speedrun scene and sort of this, you know, break the record is cool, but. It's only going to work with popular games. I, 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 I even hesitated to call that like the competitive speedrun scene because it's some a certain level. I think all speedrunning is necessarily competitive, like whether it's like yourself versus the game or, or like, you know, I'm trying to beat this person's record. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's like the, you know, the commercial speedrunning scene. Well, I think of it as the golf of sort of video games. Speedrunning a video game is like you're playing golf with that game. And as a community, we've all sort of, you know, you can competitively play the same field, you know, and, and things like that. And you can definitely market at that. Like, people watch golf. People watch speedruns, you know. But it's boring as fuck. Like, let's be <laughs> Like, for a lot of games, it's boring as fuck. I don't care about Super Mario 64, so that's like a wrap. And then what's another popular game that people run? Like, I don't know, SpongeBob? I don't care. I Yeah, I pretty much only watch streams of, like, games that I... Or play, of time. Or, or people I know. I don't care. This is probably more of a personal problem, but but like just popular speed games I just I'm not super into because they usually are like N sixty four games that I just don't really care about. And that format isn't gonna work, you know, with uh Daffy Duck the Marvin missions for Super Nintendo. Like no one cares about that game to the extent that they're gonna watch like a, a weekend break the record style event for that sort of thing. And that's understandable. Why should they? Personally, I think the only kind of pure speedrun, quote unquote, that can break out and do everything that we've talked about is puzzle speedrunning because it is competitive. There's no way you can suck at the game and do good. You have to be good at the game. And every single time you start up the game, it is different. It's not like, oh, I missed this jump here at world so-and-so. That's going to be like 16 frames lost. It's like, no, every single time you boot up that console and start up a like uh just like a speed run, it is different every single time. It is the randomizers of randomizers. And de- yeah, depending on the game, it can be extreme. Tetris, Tetris competitive Tetris. It is super popular and they have their own memes like boom, Tetris for Jeff and all this stuff. People watch it because it's different. It doesn't matter. This person could have done super good and all of a sudden they miss drop or you know they screw up or they can't handle this because they're not really used to it they're done it's or if over it's the battle royale thing where it's like you know other people are throwing shit at them yeah it, it is different and personally that's why i love puzzle speedruns and i'm super excited for the puzzle general tournament that's happening yeah it's like a difference between like uh fighting games or rts where it's like a person versus person competition where it's like you're playing against a person and that like the strategies they use will be constantly developing, but speedrunning a game, it's like you're converging to one point of like, you know, the task or whatever the human, like, like there's an ideal thing to achieve. And, uh, it's the developmentally stagnant comparatively. Well, it only works if you're already familiar with what's about to happen in the speed run. That, yeah. Like for, uh, unless it's readily apparent of what's, you know, what's happening or where the skill is involved. Like as far as content goes, if it's going to be the same thing, like, you know, if you watch Super Metroid, yes, there's var- there's variation and people mess up and, you know, all all that good stuff. But you generally know what, you know, each room is supposed to look like when you watch the, the sort of the run enough. But if you're unfamiliar, like, you're not going to know that someone just, like, thread the needle on, like, the specific, you know, couple of frames or whatever. Or, or you know, I think about, like, Donkey Kong Country 2, where a lot of the stuff where they're, like, going through barrels all of a sudden out of nowhere seemingly and stuff like that. You need people who are able to really explain and break down all that stuff, and it happens in three seconds, you know, and they're already on to the next thing that's kind of fucking with the game, and so I, I just think that there's there's just such a learning curve on certain games that maybe just the right game hasn't become popular enough to speedrun that I'm just, I'm into it personally, and I don't, I don't know that enough people are, because it's like, it's Super Mario 64, and it's, uh, wow, I'm really hating on Super Mario 64 this episode. What's another game <laughs> that's different and popular? Super Metroid? Shit. Sure, yeah, Super Metroid. Yeah, that's another popular one. But I don't know, it's not as simple. Well, I guess like a simple to me would be like, well, I, I guess, yeah, mechanically simple would be like the Super Monkey Ball games where it's like 
really hard to optimize, but the gameplay is like self-explanatory. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like you genuinely don't need someone to commentate. You just I guess maybe another issue that that's maybe occurring as well is like there's certain games where you could consider it to be I guess somewhat like like Monkey Ball, you could just have competitive Monkey Ball. At what point is it speed running or are you just playing Monkey Ball competitively? There's probably some other games Well, yeah, like some that. games like they're uh like the default game mechanics are based around time where it's like that that's time attack that's like what speedrunning mm-hmm. is like racing games being the ideal example like if you're good at a racing game that's like you're speedrunning it outside i guess mm-hmm. the difference would be like in between like menus and stuff but like the you know the core of the gameplay would be identical let's let's go to the sub main topic the xbox game pass this is this is another fun topic because i saw it on twitter Basically, Xbox Game Pass was announced to also include the EA kind of style thing where all the EA games are included. Not the newest ones, but I think there's demos for the newest ones. But you definitely get like the FIFA and NHL and NFLs and NBAs like the year prior, which is super awesome, plus a bunch of different other EA games. And that was included into Game Pass. And I guess somebody probably popular on the internet was like, oh my god, this is so awesome for poor people. And then people were like, well, no, it's not. I'm, I have my own opinion, but I'm very curious on what your opinions are before I give my opinion. I have yet to see this. I've never even heard of it. Okay, so Xbox Game Pass is basically Netflix for video games. You pay a... It's very cheap because there's a bunch of different sales. I personally subscribe to it. And you get access to a lot of Xbox Microsoft games. So actually, Streets of Rage 4, when it first came out, it was immediately available on Game Pass to play on Xbox and PC. Uh, Minecraft Dungeons, when it came out, instantly available on Game Pass and PC. The original Doom, for example, is available on Game Pass. There is, there, there is, all the gears are available on Game Pass. There is a lot of video games that are available for Game Pass. It is the Netflix of video games. You pay a subscription, and then you can just download the game and play it as long as you have the subscription. And this is for, like, the new Xbox console? It is already available on Xbox One and PC. It will be part yeah. of the newest console because there's a digital only console coming out the xbox one the xbox series s is a very small digital only console and the plan for that is it's cheaper but you pay for game pass essentially to have the subscription of games or you just only digitally purchase your games i guess to me it's like when i think of like you know poverty gaming i think of buying shit at flea markets like old uh sega genesis and games for like you know buy them bulk at a pawn shop for like two dollars but uh i i guess for playing new games this seems like it's the best option is best i've heard of lurk what is your opinion i'm not a huge fan of not physically owning a game if i can although there are lots of games that i do not physically own which i've paid for so i don't know i guess it's pretty cool but it's not something that i have myself ever considered looking into because i just buy the game i also don't have an x like i only have like the i i guess i i I used to call it the xbox one or like the original xbox i don't know what the the fucking name for that is now the big fat green machine i have one of those the only console modern console that i own is the switch yeah i bought that one of those two for deadly premonition too beyond that the last thing i bought was like a fucking sega dreamcast it does make sense from a business standpoint you know yeah streaming games as long as it's not like the stadia where it's all you know latency no heavy. no you you actually go through you actually the download and install games, it yeah. and that, that yeah that's like straight <laughs> trash that's like not comparable right yeah okay so the argument against this is that it's not actually for poor people because poor people end up spending a lot of money for these games because you know they actually see it on their wallets and they see the money go away and that's bad when they can be buying games used and this and that. So here's my counter argument to this because my main point is that Game Pass is actually good for poor people. And as a person who doesn't have a lot of money and isn't even working right now, I'll explain why. A, it is super cheap right now. It, this may not be the case in the future, but currently you can get Xbox Live Gold super cheap for whatever means you know cd key websites or deals like costco whatever you can get it for cheap you pay one dollar and it converts the xbox live gold to xbox game pass which works on computer and pc 
Even if it doesn't, you can buy it separately for, I think, 5 or $10, okay? New game comes out. It is confirmed to be on Game Pass. Let's say this is the new Forza or the new Gears or the new Minecraft, Streets of Rage 4, whatever. You now pay 5 or $10, and you can play that brand new game for the whole month. How is that not a good thing? Nobody says that you have to keep this subscription. It is actually, those crazy guys actually very often would only buy Game Pass for a month when before all these deals came out just so he can play the game because it was cheaper and easier to quote-unquote rent the game for $5 than it was to buy it because you're going to play it once and then probably never play it again. Holy fuck, I just remember that renting games was a thing like 20 years ago. Fuck. You can still do it. Actually, here locally, <laughs> the libraries have a brand new up-to-date collection of games that you can rent rent bar lend. oh yeah i always forget that libraries are like the most underused thing oh yeah in like they are awesome so you know it the new xbox console yeah it being digital only is not ideal but saying that game pass as a subscription service is not good for poor people is probably one of the stupidest things that i've ever heard because no poor person is gonna pay 80 dollars for a video game when they can quote unquote rent it for the five or ten dollars for the month and still feel included. I mean, not just poor, but also like, like cheap. Like, yeah, you like, for example, Streets of Rage four, I played it, I beat it, I might not ever play it again. But it was on Game Pass. So I literally don't care. I didn't pay full price for it. Or uh, shared Steam libraries. Like I played, I got like 80 hours of Metal Gear Solid five. Didn't even like the game that much. Didn't pay a cent. <laughs> Because I'm friends with someone that owns it. Yeah, like, there, there's ways to share games. You can rent games and everything like that. But claiming that Game Pass is terrible for poor people because they're wasting money is just ignorant. Yeah, sounds like it. And that's not a major opinion. And then roll credits, I guess. <laughs>